Welcome to the RLT Pivot Podcast, where each week we discuss a trading topic in a way that will provide encouragement, inspire growth, vanquish fears, offer solutions, and take you to the next level in your trading journey. So get ready as we dive in right now. And welcome back, everyone, to the RLT Pivot Podcast. I am once again joined with my amazing co-host, Mr. Dan Jansen. How are you, sir? Doing terrific. Good to be back for another episode of the Pivot Podcast. We got a uh, special guest in the house. We got Dennis Dick, uh, which I, I swear I watch uh, him and the show and the team every single morning before the market because the insight, um, I would venture, is, is better than anything you've seen on TV, CNBC, because they got a lot of talking heads that cover the same thing over and over again. But um, if you guys are not watching the Benzinga pre-market prep show, you guys uh, need to watch that live every single day. But uh, Dennis, welcome. How are you, man? Thanks Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate it, Tracy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. For, for anybody that doesn't know or hasn't seen uh, you do the pre-market prep, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your backgrounds and kind of how you, you ended up even even hosting that every single morning. Yeah, so just quickly, we host a podcast that uh, Dan's been talking about, pre-market prep from Benzinga, uh, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, where we basically discuss what's moving, what we see happening, and obviously breaking news. You know, a lot of times you get an 8.30 number, trading breaking news, and just talking about what we see, basically setting up your trading day. Um, The idea behind that was... Uh, probably came back and I could bring into my history here. I've been with Bright Trading for 22 years, um, trading as a prop trader for Bright Trading, started in 1999 right out of university. And we always had a morning call where we would just discuss on the morning call from like 8.30 to 9 o'clock. All the traders would kind of get their heads together. At one time, we had 400 traders in the firm. And uh, we get on call. It was hosted by a good friend of mine, Cash Coin, And um, I would help out with that call as well. And we just thought, you know, and Joel Alconin, who's actually is the, my, my co-host on Pre-Market Prep, he started with Bright Trading as well. He was the manager of the Detroit office back in 1999. But we kind of thought that, you know, we do this call. What if we could bring this to the public, you know, like give information out there? Would be, there be an interest? And uh, Joel and I started Pre-Market, uh, it was called Pre-Market Info back then. Um, and we didn't have very many listeners, like 50, 60, 80 listeners. It was probably most of my own company, Bright Trading. Um, our own firm. Uh, but then uh, we joined up with Benzinga and we've been doing it now. I think it's nine years we've actually been with Benzinga doing uh, Benzinga's pre-market prep. And we get anywhere usually from five to 10,000 people that listen to that show a day. So we've got a pretty good audience. That's, yeah, that, sure. that's awesome. Now you said you started 22 years ago, straight out of university. Long time. 25 years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. So I could take you back to my young days. Um, yeah, so straight out of university, I was actually my fourth year university, and I was uh, I was in, I was taking economics and finance, and I had a friend of a friend who was trading at this company called Bright Trading. So I, I graduated in April of uh, 1999, and I didn't know what I was going to do. You're a young kid, you know, you're coming out, and I thought, well, I'm probably going to go do. I wrote my GMAT. I was probably going to go do my MBA and continue on my education route. But anyways, I had this friend of a friend who was trading at the Southfield, Michigan office, Bright Trading, and he was a professional day trader. I was like, that is so interesting because I had traded retail 
for my last two years of university, just had, you know, small money trading retail. And, um, you know, it was a bull market back then. So it kind of seemed easy. It was 1998, 1999. It seemed like you buy a stock and you sell it and you make money. So I kind of thought I was a genius at the time. And then, um, so anyway, so I thought, what the hell? Um, I started, you know, I, I went out there over there, met Joel Alconin, who's my co-host, uh, met him at the Bray Trading Office. Um, and he said, yeah, so you come on in, you fund your account with, it was $50,000 at the time. So I had to borrow some money from, uh, from, from my family. Um, before the money and, um, yeah. And then, um, joined bright trading literally in May of 1999 and sat down at that desk. I can remember there's about 20 traders in the Southfield office and I'm like, okay, I sit here. I was like, okay, now what, you know, and, and there's traders and they're like throwing ideas around and, you know, it's bouncing around, but I really had no idea what I was doing. I thought before I came in, I knew what I was doing, but I quickly learned that, holy cow, these guys are so far advanced more than me. Literally half of the traders in the Southfield office came from the floor. So it was, you know, internet, you know, trading was relatively new back in 1999. So it was just starting to break trading had formed and a lot of floor traders have come in and Joel, my mentor and, and trading supervisor there had come from the floor as well. He traded in the S&P pad. So there was a lot of experience there and that was a big benefit to me. And like I said, I quickly realized that after, you know, uh, being there for even a couple of hours that, oh man, I don't know anything. Here I come in, I think I know everything and I don't know anything. And I remember just sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, I guess, you know, you got to get your feet wet, right? So I make my first trade and I think I made $31 on General Electric. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I got a feel for this. This is going pretty well. And I remember that first week and I think I made like $200 my first week, trading very small. So, and that's what they teach at Bright Train. Just trade 100 shares, get your feet wet, get a feel for the market. Don't try to jump in and get rich right away. Just get a feel, get a feel. So I can remember I made like about 200 bucks that first week and I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a feel for this. And then the next week I got hammered and the next week I got hammered. And I, I think at one point in time I had the office record. I had 21 consecutive losing trades the one day. And I was like, how the heck? It should be 50-50. I mean, you, you can buy a stock or you can sell a stock. I mean, how the heck do you lose on, you know, on 21 consecutive trades in a row? I'm like, I completely suck at this. So anyways, but I grind out, grind out. Um, by the time, um, I would say like two to three months and my $50,000 had dwindled down to 46,000. So because I wasn't losing a lot, it was like losing 200 bucks, losing 300 bucks, losing a hundred bucks, you know, make a hundred bucks just by luck. So I remember about three months and I was down about four grand. And I can remember um, I, I was dating this other girl at, at the time before my wife. And I actually um, was over at her house um, just for dinner. And, you know, she's like, well, how is this day trading stuff going? I was like, well, you know, I'm learning a lot. And she's like, well, how much money have you made? And I was like, well, actually I've lost $3,000. She's like, you've been working for three months straight and you've lost $3,000. She's like, you're an idiot. I could see her like, get rid of this guy. <laughs> this guy's going nowhere. So, but I could feel that I was like, I went down and I was stabilizing. So like the next month I wasn't losing anymore. So like, you could see like the whole learning curve, like you lose, 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 lose. Then you got the learning curve and you're not losing anymore. And then I got to about the seven month and I got it back to 50,000. So it took me about that first six to seven months where I finally got it back. And then I was at that point where I'm, I'm back to break even. And then from there, I just, you know, kept going up. Um, and I actually ended up at the end of my first year, I made $8,000, which I was down for most of the year. So I mean, the last four months, I'm, you know, probably made 12 or 13. And then the next year I was able to make some significant money. And then I've been profitable every year ever since. So 22 years. Um, it's, it's been a good run and obviously, you know, I've enjoyed trading and, uh, that's my, the history. <laughs>
I think what you mentioned was a very key point for traders. Uh, nor, look, just I think people are trained through schools and everything. They're, they're just trained to go to school. You get a job. You work. You yep. make money. Trading is very different. So trading, you do have losses, yep. right? You do have times, especially in the beginning when you're learning and, and trying to figure things out, really, really get a grasp of where you're at. There's going to be a struggle at some point which could happen multiple times over a career, but especially in the beginning, there's that time where you kind of, you, you want to throw the towel in. So just like the ex-girlfriend said, I mean, you're down, you, you go to work every day and you're losing money. Yeah. What kept you in the game? What, what really I kept think, you motivated to, I, to continue? Because you cannot get to where you're at now if you get Yeah, it. no, fantastic question. And I think um, it's the fact that I was with other traders there and they're telling me similar stories at the time. So hopefully somebody that watches this interview that's struggling their three, four, six months in might get, hey, here's Dennis Dick. He's been a, a successful trader. He's made his whole career trading. Um, here, he struggled in the beginning too. And I think I heard the same thing from a lot of traders in that office. They're probably like, okay, you're not, don't come and expect to make money right away. You know, and they say, you know, at Bray Trading when they would bring traders in, expect in your first year to actually lose half of your account. They used to say that just in the whole learning phase. And if you're still sitting there, you're still losing money after a couple of years, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you don't have the discipline. Maybe, you know, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, maybe you just don't have the, the overall skill set to do it. But I think that I started to feel like more comfortable fairly quickly. I mean, even though I was losing in those first couple of months, I could, I was learning. Like I was like, okay, this is what you don't do. My biggest thing that I did wrong all the time was chasing. You know, you like chase stocks, you see this going, you jump on the train, you see this going, you jump on the train and then the train just turns and, you know, and then you're on the wrong side of it. So, you know, you could see the little mistakes you're making. And then, you know, so maybe I moved into better setups and slowly, you know, and different types of trading, different styles of trading, learning from the other traders, being open-minded. But I think why, why I stuck with it is because as other traders had the same story and I could see progress, even though maybe I wasn't making money yet, I could see progress where I was learning. And, um, and then obviously, you know, from there, you know, once you start making money, then you're starting to feel pretty good. And even though you could say, oh, your first eight months, you make eight grand, well, that kind of sucks, should have worked at McDonald's. I learned so much. It was like better than my university education in those eight months. And I got paid $8,000 to do it. So, I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, um, you've got to get your feet wet. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, oh, just pay for trade. I think with the way Robinhood is, and you can do free trading now, why not get your feet wet? Even if you're just trading with 500 bucks, you know, get your feet wet, get a feel for it. Cause once you have real money in there, the whole game changes. You can put anything on paper, but then you've got slippage issues. You know, you've got other issues too, where there's just this whole psychology behind trading. I mean, trading is a mental game. And I know when I'm off, I'm struggling because then you're hesitating and you're not jumping on those setups that you normally would jump on. It's such a mental game. That is so key. And now my biggest takeaway that I've, I've gotten from what you've said so far was the fact that they encouraged you to play small right out of the gate. And I think that that is key to some yeah. of the success that you had. So again, that's one of the advice that we would be giving as well as you, you play as small as you possibly can. So it doesn't matter what you lose. It's, it's a learning opportunity. It gives you that chance to get into it. But aside from that, what was probably the greatest struggle that you had to overcome during that first seven, eight months that you were learning to try and, and get into that profitable zone? You, you know what the biggest struggle was probably after I had turned profitable. Mm. 
my biggest struggle was sizing up because I was so comfortable trading this hundred shares. And I can remember Joel from pre-market prep now, but you know, he's my trading supervisor. And then he's like, Dennis, you know, you're, you're starting to show some consistency, start trading 200 shares or start trading 300. I remember when I sized up the first time I'd get nervous mm. and I'd be like, oh, I'm all of a sudden it's like, I'm nervous again, you know, cause I was so comfortable trading 100. Now I'm trading twice as much money, 200 shares. And I was like nervous about it. And I actually struggled for a long time to size up those trades. And I probably still struggle with that to a certain, a, a certain amount, even today. Um, you know, obviously trading a lot more than 200 shares, but sizing up at the right time and, you know, getting, cause I'm so risk adverse. I mean, a lot of people look at a trader and, you know, I have one friend that's like, oh, did you win money today? Cause they look at the industry and they think we're like gamblers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like the exact opposite. I don't buy lottery tickets. I don't gamble. I'm like very risk adverse. And that's why when I put my money into something, I want a nice clean setup. Like I don't like to swing at pitches in the dirt. I'm swinging at pitches up the middle and I'm probably almost too fussy where I'm like always looking for the cleanest setup. And I'm like, if I don't really like it, I just lay off it. And there's traders at our firm at Bright Trading that probably do better than me just because they hit everything. Mm -hmm. And they're probably just, you know, getting, you know, they're, they're getting more hits for the simple reason they're swinging at more pitches. But I'm a little more conservative where I don't like losing money. I still don't like it today, you know, and obviously there's going to be days you lose money. It just doesn't work out. There's going to be, you know, trades you lose money on. But overall, you know, I'm always trying to protect my capital. That's the biggest thing. So I struggled to size up, but eventually, you know, I did, you know, get bigger and, and, and slowly bring up the size. And obviously, you know, then you can make some more money and then you can, you know, go from a good living to making some serious money. So, you know, and all the money and all, all of my wealth, my entire career has been made off of day trading, basically. So, you know, I'm starting out of university. This is really the only job that I've ever had after university. Yes, I do the Brenzinger pre-market prep. I've done some side things, but 95% of my net worth has probably been created from day trading. Mm, that's, that's good to know because a lot of people will say that, you know, day trading is for cash flow and you need to really get wealth from investments and from long term or from even swing trading. It's hard to make a living or make wealth through day trading. And I, I like to hear that, you know, the majority of your, I, yeah, I, I've heard that. So, so I should correct, obviously I have, you know, made money. So I shouldn't say it's all from day trading it would be from investing as well, but the money, the original money that I make day trading. So what I basically have is two accounts. I have a trading yeah. account, which I day trade a little bit of swing trading in. And then I have a long-term investing account where I, you know, if I, you know, my trading account gets, you know, high enough where I'm comfortable with it. Obviously I've got to take money out to live because this is where my, I'm living off my trading. So I'm always extracting some money from my trading account. And then, you know, every, anything excessive that I don't need in my trading account, I would then put over into my long-term investing account and then invest in stocks that I believe in. And obviously a lot of, you know, them have grown, those stocks have grown over time. I mean, I think I bought Google 12 years mm. ago. So, I mean, that stock, I, I think, you know, I, my average cost basis on Google would be like six bucks, wow. I think, you know, it's at 112. So, I mean, some of those have created wealth for me. So I should correct, it's not all been created from day trading, but it's been created from trading, which then became investing, which grew well. So I think you're right, Tracy. I think it is important to still, even as a trader, to do some long-term investing. Because a lot of people will just ask me, why the hell, don't, why do you even bother with long-term investing? Why don't you just day trade at all? And I'm like, you could say that, but one, I've always been with Bright Trading. So I'm a prop firm. So I have Bright Trading money to trade mm -hmm. with. So that makes it a little bit different. Um, so obviously, you know, I don't, I, I have their leverage. And the difference with a, a firm like Bright Trading is you're trading firm capital. So you can come up with $50,000 and access, you know, up to a million dollars. So it allows that trader to really, you know, employ some serious capital into their strategies. Um, you know, recently though, and I should say recently, 
I've just in the last four months, um, or last or in the last month, I've just left ray trading actually because I'm at a point where I felt that um, one, I have a better tax structure if not through break trading, but mainly I'm at a point where my, my I've got enough money on my own that I don't really need the break trading money anymore. So it allows me to a little more flexibility in what I do. So, um, so if that's after 22 years with break trading, it was a tough leave, but I actually have just left. Wow. Well, well I is. Mean, which is at a good point to be at. And I think that would be part of the journey, right? So helps people, people coming into the market to trade with, I, I don't know how, like, I, and here's some people's flaw. They come in and they think, oh, I'm going to come in with 10,000 bucks and I'll make a hundred grand a year off it. Well, how? Not every year is going to be 2020 where stocks are going up tenfold. That just that is not realistic. I think 2022 was a real eye opener for a lot of those people that thought they could quit their day jobs because they have $10,000 in their account and they made it and they turned it into 50 in one year. 2020 and 20, in the, in the beginning of 2021 was a gift though. It was, you know, it's not normal markets to just see that acceleration and stocks going from five dollars to fifty dollars. That is not normal. Twenty twenty one. So I've always said, you know, you think about good money managers making ten or twelve percent a year. Well, if you're making ten or twelve percent a year, you need a million bucks to make a hundred grand. So I mean, I don't know how you know the majority of day traders can do it on a ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar account unless they join up I, with I, a firm like Ray Trading. Now, obviously, I've created some wealth over time, so I'm, I'm not in the same predicament that I was 20 years ago. But if you're starting, you probably need some type of prop firm yeah. to align. I, I would say I think 2020 and 2021 is a very similar trap to when you first started talking to us, saying when you got into the market, you'd buy something, it would go up and sell it. And I think that's, yes. that in, in some way, I, I think positives and negatives to it. I think that 2020, 2021 introduced a lot of people into the stock market that otherwise probably would have never been there or had interest. But I yes. think there's a, a little bit of a, a crutch from that where they got too comfortable too quickly. And I, I think they don't, I, I think not everybody, some people will put the effort in, they'll, they'll go through classes, they'll learn, they'll, they'll read, they'll watch YouTube videos, they'll watch pre-market prep. They'll, they'll really want to try to get into it. Others, it was just about the fast, fast cash. And most of them, I, I think probably lost, a majority of what they did and they might not ever touch the stock market again. Right. So I think, I, I think there's a, a positive and a, and a Delta to, to those type of markets, but the, the ones that hang in there, the ones that, that are in it for the long term and, and really put the work in, I, I, I think they're the ones in the, in the long run, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that's still around and still doing very well with it. You, you've been doing this long enough. How, how long do you think, it takes for somebody to really grasp the market, really understand the market where they could say, you know what, I could do this full time. Um, one, I think you've got to be able to go both ways. And this is, you know, something that when you come out of a retail account, you think shorting stocks is just like the most scariest thing ever. And I think a lot of people actually believe, you know, if you just talk, you know, you know, in different crowds, obviously retail crowds are just talking to um, you know, uh, people who are outside the market, a lot of people believe that short selling is just flat out un-American, like you shouldn't let bet against companies. But it's not about that. It's about efficiency. What short sellers bring to the market is efficient markets. I mean, bubbles are created in 2020 because of the absence of short sellers. It's not created. So you have a lot of people lose a lot more money, you know, in stocks, that, you know, maybe like these GameStops or, you know, or even like, you know, other ones that really took off from the Reddit crowd. And the absence of short sellers, because people were scared to death to short those stocks, the absence of the short sellers allowed these bubbles to get a lot bigger than they ever should have. 
So, I mean, when stocks going straight up, shorts, you know, a professional short is probably not going to be wanting interest, being interested in shorting the stocks. So, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult, but I think you've got to be able to get past the notion that, oh, this is not, you know, an American, it's about efficiency. And if you believe a stock is overvalued, you're just placing a bet and saying, you know, on the short side that it's overvalued. And it might be from a fundamental basis, it might be from a relative basis, you know, I'll do a lot of relationship-based trading, which we can get into in a minute. But I mean, it's all just, you know, whatever your thesis is, you've got to be able to bet on it either going up or down. So um, if you're just long only, you're going to really struggle in a year like 2022. Um, and I can tell you, and I can tell you my best years are this years that the market is doing the worst. So my best years, if I go through my history, best year was 2001, 2007, 2008, 2009, and um probably 20, 2021 was pretty good, the back end of it too. So, and, and the best was when the stocks are just tanking because the stocks go down a hell of a lot quicker than they go up. And you just, it's unbelievable on the short side, if you get the timing right, you can make a hell of a lot more money than you can on the long side. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Now, your history has covered a vast a vast number of cycles throughout the markets. And you've been through the 2008 real estate crash you would have been through COVID crash. A lot of our listeners would not have experienced that type of market. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you might have learned through? Let's let's talk about the real estate crash. What was the biggest lesson that you you learned from that? Because I don't know. I would you would you been prepared for it? Were you prepared for it? You know what? No, nobody could be prepared for that. But it's like the writing is on the wall in a lot of this stuff and people just ignore the writing. And I think I actually do well overall because uh, I'm just, you know, cognizant to like what is happening overall here. And I can remember I take you back to the financial crisis and my best trading year was 2008. And I can remember I, I made a bet um, and it was against a preferred stock of Bear Stearns. And I can remember uh, talking to my wife even about it, and it was a sizable bet. But the preferred stock of Bear Stearns was trading at par. This was in 2008. It was $25. It was trading at par. And, um, and if you trade preferred stocks, you know they're often the par on them is $25. Bucks. Um, and I remember the yield was like 6.25%. So there wasn't a lot of borrow costs back then. It just wasn't like it is now. So it wasn't that expensive to carry that position. I can remember having this conversation with my wife and not that she's a trader, but just throwing, you know, I, I talk with her every once in a while just because you're, you're thinking out loud. And I remember saying, I don't know if Bear Stearns, you know, I don't think it's probable that they go down because it was already writing on the wall. We'd saw Lehman Brothers and just to set it up. So this wasn't like at the beginning, this was kind of, you know, a little ways into nothing had started, but Lehman Brothers had fallen from, you know, well over a hundred dollars to probably 50. Bear Stearns had went to common stock from like, probably well over $100 to I think it was $80. So it was still, you know, well before the collapse, but um, it was still to come. And I can remember making that bet and saying that, you know what, I just short this preferred stock and I really have, my upside risk is really the 6.25% dividend that I got to pay out. But, you know, if so, it's maybe not probable that it's going to say this to my wife, it's not probable that Ferrisburg is going down, but it's possible. And I'm like, if it goes down, I'm like, this preferred stock is going to collapse. And we're talking about a, a preferred stock that had $25, if you looked at it for years, just trading around 24, 25, 24, 25. And then three, so I placed a huge short position on that. And literally three weeks later, the, the, the preferred stock chart looks like this, it falls off a cliff. 
And that was when the Lehman Brothers was going down. And we know Bear Stearns ended up going down to $2. Eventually got bought out by JP Morgan for 10. Uh, but everything had just collapsed. And that Bear Stearns preferred stock went from 25 to 12 in about a week. And that was probably maybe my best trade ever. I was short and I didn't take it all in by any means. I started covering when it got to like 21, 20, 19, you know, taking it in, taking it in because I was like, this is just, you know, this is 6.25, so I'm gonna make a 20 in like three weeks. I'm like, my timing on this was, you know, I was about two weeks early, but it was just, it was a nice setup. So, and especially after watching the common fall 50%, the preferred hadn't responded yet. And then obviously, and then I started shorting preferreds all over the place. And, um, and then it was just getting into stat herb too. I can remember in 2008, some preferreds would open down. Some preferreds were looking up. I was just doing basic arbitrage on different series of preferred stocks. So, which could take us all in the relationship-based conversation. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, it's all about, you know, possibilities, you know, and, and you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, is this possible? Isn't it possible? Or is the market, you know, pricing it all in? There's this notion that the market is efficient, efficient market hypothesis, that it prices everything in. And I will tell you today, for my 22-year career, the market is actually the opposite. It prices nothing. in. The market is made up of very uninformed participants that know almost, as a group, as a whole, it doesn't know a hell of a lot. So that's why I'm able to extract alpha from this market, because I'm just trying to figure out, you know, where are the inefficiencies? What is the market not looking at? You know, today, I'll tell you right now, the market is not looking at the China situation. It's not looking at, you know, the Pelosi situation. That is the next catalyst. And obviously now we're, we're, we're going, you know, I don't want to just, you know, date this to this right now. But um, right now, the, the, the issues here in the markets is not pricing in this again. So, I mean, the market is fail, failure. The market's failure to price in all information that is public and easily to read is probably why astute traders or smarter traders or people who are just doing their homework can extract alpha from it. Mm, that's a great point. Long-winded answer. I don't remember where we started. <laughs> no, we, we... <laughs>